Good morning, Austin, surrounding areas, wherever you're at. This is The Grapevine. As always, I am Giannis Banks, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Miss Nikki Wooding. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? <sighs> yeah, I think I'm good. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to go along with it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Grapevine. So, we have a lot to tackle this week. <laughs> football pun, because we're all going to talk about football. <laughs> okay. Up, huh? I know. You like that? Yeah. Okay. Well, welcome to April, everybody. A couple things coming up. We got taxes coming up on April 15th. Why, Why do you bring that up? Nobody want to talk about taxes. Well, you got to remind people. Yeah. I know. I just don't want our listeners to be delinquent. I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm doing it for the greater good. Mm. So that is, what, the 15th, but the re- really the real day is the 18th, something like that. I don't know. I might have made that up. Well, what day is the 15th on this year? I think it's on a Friday. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> I know the 15th is the go is the is the deadline, so. Yeah, see, it's the 18th. I knew what I was talking about. Okay. Thank you. The deadline for filing taxes this year is... April 18th. It's because April 16th falls on a Saturday, meaning that the earliest weekday is on the 15th of the month. What? Mm-hmm. What? You want to try that one again? That's what it said. I don't know. I just read it. Whose website are you reading? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put my blog up real quick. Okay, but anyway, file your taxes. Let's get them done. Whatever. Also, Star Test is coming up. Mm-hmm. So the kids are gonna have to take that state exam. I guess there's some changes that have happened. We had a great conversation about this with- Ken. Ken, there you go. Yes, we had a great conversation about the STAR test, Mm -hmm. its relevancy, and even some of the changes during COVID, but now I think that they're dropping a lot of those changes. So that's great. Yes, it is. Uh, This is a time of year too, though, where the kids get really stressed out over this. Parents. And teachers. Everybody and, gets and stressed teachers. out over it. Yeah. And this is opportunity. Y'all go visit our social media pages because there are like seven different tips that are out there to help parents kind of navigate these new changes and the new things going on with the star test. Speaking of which, mm-hmm. social media, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram yep. at The Grapevine Talk, mm-hmm. on Twitter at The Grapevine ATX. Yep. And the cool thing is, if you're listening on TuneIn right now, that means after the show is aired on KAZI, you can listen to the full show yes. by just typing our name into the browser, The Grapevine Talk. Our cool logo will pop up. This is amazing. I love how, like, we're growing with Austin. We're just growing. Yeah, okay. Austin's growing. Yeah, because we're getting some new stuff coming out here. Well, Central Texas is, yeah. Yeah, what you got? You know, Facebook is already here in Austin. And their parent company, Meta, mm-hmm. has decided to break ground up in Temple, Texas, which is just a stone throw away from Austin, about 65 miles, give or take, mm-hmm. where they will be building a $800 million data center. 800 million dollars okay 800 million dollar data center yeah Oh. It's going to be 900,000 square feet and Whoa. it'll employ about 100 people. It's expected to be operational by 2024. Uh-huh. You know, it's close-ish to Austin, but if you're in the central Texas area, clean, Fort Hood, even in Temple, mm-hmm. in a couple years, it's 
some more jobs could be coming uh, your way. So they say this construction will begin in spring. They'll have about 1,250 construction workers. So there's be some more jobs happening. So if you're into construction, you may want to be finding this out as well. I know that's right. You um, put them on today. Yeah. And they're saying that, that Meta is saying they're going to have a strong partnership with the Temple community. Right. They've already been talking to some local partners and they want to be a part of the long-term success of the region. So. I know that's right. Well, I got a question for you. Uh, okay. So Meta is the parent company of Facebook, right? Right. And so Facebook, they already have a building downtown Austin. Am I right or wrong? Am I mixing them up with somebody No, they are downtown Austin. I don't know if they have a building or if they were building a building. They're inside a building. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if it's the Facebook. Actually, I don't think it's the Facebook building because I've never seen it branded as such, wherever they've been. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I just assumed that they were downtown and yeah. Yeah, they have two locations in Austin that says they are third and show tower so they have mm-hmm. an office high-rise on 6th Street mm-hmm. and they like everybody you have to be downtown and in the domain apparently so they're also in the domain oh okay and they said they are going to open another office space as well mm-hmm. in 2024 Facebook will oh yeah oh wow they're busy yeah they're growing okay also what's growing out here Tesla so Elon Musk, I think he's already here. And we're having a big party coming up here in Austin. The GigaFest. <laughs> I mean, you got to be cool enough to get an invitation, though. Well, I don't know. I think that you can kind of go online and get tickets because there's about 15,000 attendees that will mm-hmm. be allowed over there. Mm-hmm. It begins on April 7th from 4 p.m. to 11.29. <laughs> so I guess 11.30 it's shut down. Eleven <laughs> thirty is gone. Right. There are a couple of school districts that have announced that they will be dismissing early on that day. So if your child does go to the Valley ISD, they did announce that they will be dismissing all schools early on April seventh due to the anticipated traffic from this Tesla event. Elementary schools that were released at one forty-five. Middle schools were released at twelve forty-five, and the high schools, alternative education, and opportunity center will all release at three. I'm assuming this is going to be a big event. I know there, of course, was Austin without a food truck. So I know there's going to be plenty of food trucks. There's going to be amusement park rides. I mean, the whole shebangabang is going to be out there. This is just to kick off the grand opening of the Tesla plant that will be opening up out here on August 7th as well. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you've been by. I haven't. The monstrosity that is that building. It, it's, it's, it's huge. Really? If you take the toll road and you're heading to the airport, you've definitely been by it, and you see how large it is. It, it, it's... I'm going to have to get directions, because I don't think I've seen it. Oh, yeah. It, it, it ain't hard to miss once you... Oh, that thing. Oh, it's still going. Oh. Right. That sucker. Yeah, we'll see. It says Tesla will send invitations and open potential ticket applications to the public. So, right. if you're lucky enough to get one, you know, congratulations, I guess. What? Get Get a ticket. Yeah. It's like Willy Wonka on his chocolate factory. Yeah, I think they are starting soon those ticket sales guys of course i think it's something like you have to live in the city or something like it's gonna be first come first serve for people that live in austin something to that capacity that i heard about but i ain't gonna be over there because it's gonna be too easy for me let me see who i know right. uh-uh. who, who can get me some tickets who i know but you, meanwhile you sent this story about elon musk what's going on with him he's Twitter. been busy he had talked about buying his own or creating his own social media network right mm-hmm. or platform whatever you want to call it and trying to figure out if twitter was 
allowing free speech or banning free speech. So he floated that idea around. Right. But instead, he decided he would have the majority share, or, or I guess the largest share, if you will, um, the biggest shareholder for Twitter. Oh, wow. Which is 9.2%. So it's not like a huge stake, but he's right the biggest one at the moment. Mm-hmm. He bought his shares for $2.89 billion. Ooh, read a pretty penny for that. Yeah, he paid a couple dollars for that one. There. Yeah. So his shares are four times more than Twitter founder Jack Dorsey. Mm-hmm. He now is on the Twitter board. What they put out there, they've been talking for a while, and they think that he could help bring some things to Twitter to make it better. Mm-hmm. I know that they've been floating around having an edit button out there, so they're going to be trying that out. But they said that he can bring some ideas to Twitter. I did see a statement saying they will not be reviewing former President Trump Twitter account whether he could have one or not. So there's been some folks who were excited about that thinking that that would mean former President Trump and maybe some others would get their Twitter account back. But as of right now, where it is, they're not planning to review that. Right. Mm. Well, welcome to the board. These should be some quite interesting shareholder meetings now, to say the least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that might be a good match for them, being that he's one of those vocal leaders of his company. It's good to have different thoughts in the room. I think we always talk about having diversity of thoughts and people mm-hmm. uh, in the room so you're not necessarily talking to an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. We will see how it goes. Right. He got the stock, so whatever. He may be able to help bring some, some innovative ideas to them. Or he might be a thorn in their side. Time will tell. Right. Right. Okay, well, we can move on to politics. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Let's jump on. Let's start in Texas. Let's start in Texas. All right. The child welfare system here in Texas has been it's been problematic for a while. For a very long time, Texas has been trying to get it right, but they just they just haven't. Yeah. And the problems are, are rearing their ugly head again, and the legislature is, is, they do these interim hearings. So they're having their hearings now about it, where over 100 children have died in the Texas welfare system since 2020. And 2020, what year is this? 2022? Welcome. Yeah, look, mm-hmm. everything's a blur. Uh, 2022 <laughs> has, even, has already started off in a bad way. What are we, four months in? I guess at this time it was three months in. And they already had 22 children have died in the first three months. And these are kids who are under the watch of the state of Texas. Texas is supposed to be responsible for their well-being and they've been struggling with that. So uh, you having legislators now doing their investigation because most recently there was reports of abuse at one of the centers in Bastrop Mm -hmm. and that picked the ears up of of some of the legislators and I think even Governor Abbott has, has talked about it but it's one of those things of we ain't got this right yet. I mean, you had kids sleeping in social workers' offices. It's just been crazy. Why were they sleeping in social workers' offices? 2011, we cut the budget. They cut the budget when folks told them, yes, there's a deficit, but what you're cutting is going to be terrible. Right. Social workers were overworked, underpaid, mm-hmm. not enough places to put them. So they had kids camping out in their offices. Oh, wow. It's just been a problem for getting close to 20 years. This has been a problem. Oh, wow. Uh, just with the Texas child system in, in general, whether it's been criminal justice or on the welfare side. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're starting to pay. Well, they're having hearings about it. We will see what they do. That building always talks a good game. And 
the welfare system. These are the kids who are specialized in medical and ther- therapeutic need. A lot of them. Mm-hmm. A good number of the kids are going to be black and brown. Mm-hmm. These are sometimes kids that people forget about because they don't always have somebody who's advocating for them. Right, right. They can fall through the cracks in the wayside. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. You know, it's going to be one of the things for y'all to just to keep an eye on and pay attention to. This is something that's in your bandwidth because we really shouldn't be having any kids dying in the foster system, no matter how big or small. You know, one is too many when the state is supposed to be taking care of these kids. Right. Just to make sure we have numbers and everything else. It does make up 0.08% of the children that are in the foster care system, but also with the federal lawsuit that is seeking to change Texas's long-term foster care system has actually, like you said, been ongoing from 2011. The judge in that case, U.S. District Judge Jack, he ruled back in 2015 that the state was violating foster children's constitutional right to be free from an unreasonable risk of harm saying that children often age out of care more damaged than when they enter. The court is realizing what's at stake with these children's safety and their health, not only physically, but mental health Right. as well. I think that there's a lot of back and forth regarding the monitors. Some people say that, hey, we don't have the money for it, while others are saying, look, something is better than nothing. It's, it should be interesting to see how it plays out. I would love to have somebody on here that can bring some insight. Yeah. You know, that can show us I mean, or really guide us of one, how we can help, but two, to really understand everything that's going on because two decades worth of issues deserve is this platform to find out like uh, really in depth of what happened. But yeah, yeah wow. Yeah. This is just concerning. Yeah, we'll get some folks on to talk about it, but definitely wanted to keep y'all in the loop to make sure you're aware. Yes in national politics. A lot of moving parts going on. We have confirmation hearings going on. We have legalization of marijuana possibly on the platform Mm -hmm. right now. Student loans are back on the table to see what's going to happen with that. Right. We have a lot going on. But let's just start with the legalization of marijuana. Yeah, the the House did pass uh, legislation last Friday to legalize marijuana nationwide. It was mostly along party lines. There was three Republicans who supported the bill and two Democrats who didn't. One of the Democrats who didn't vote for the bill was Henry Cuellar from Texas. It's going to be interesting to see as this bill moved forward to the Senate where you have a split. But for this bill to hit the Senate floor, you would need 60 votes. So the question would be, can you keep all 50 together? And I think Manchin has been one of those who is normally against things. And I think he's one of them. And there's another senator from uh, New Hampshire, Janine Shaheen. You would have to keep all 50 plus gain 10. Or if you lose those two, you have to gain 12 and keep the other 48. Right. For it to even get to the Senate floor for that debate. So So Cuellar, he is is a Democrat. He's from the Rado. Yeah. I know he's in campaign season for him because he's up for a runoff election against Jessica Cisneros. Yeah, it's a heated campaign down there. Right, right. I guess he's not one of the progressive Democrats, I put it that way. Correct. It'll be interesting to see, one, how this campaign and election trail goes, but two, should he be reelected, how his constituents feel about his voting history there in the, in the House and how it represents their stance on some of these hot topic issues. Yeah. The Texas House, I believe, passed a bill out last session and maybe even the session before to at least decriminalize marijuana. But of course, they got to the Senate and wasn't going to go anywhere. 
there is that appetite you can see here in the state of Texas for it to have passed the House. That definitely had to be bipartisan support in Texas anyway. So I, I think you're seeing some, some attitudes change, but the lieutenant governor here in Texas has already said no. As long as he's lieutenant governor, you know, that's not happening. But we'll see how these conversations shape out. It is, like you said, campaign season. Right. And then our bordering neighbor state, they all have made some progressive strides within marijuana legislation. For instance, mm-hmm. New Mexico, they have fully legalized marijuana there. Neighboring states like Oklahoma and Louisiana, they fully legalized medical marijuana usage. You're right. It'll be interesting to see during campaign season, but the pressure from the outside states that have already moved in a direction toward not only decriminalizing, but legalizing certain aspects and usage of it, whether it pressure our executives or legislatures Mm -hmm. to go ahead and move forward with changing a couple couple things in the state. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. While we're talking about that green... You're right over there. And Biden is talking about saving some people some green. Okay, that's your transition. Yep. Let's go for it. Okay. <laughs> you know, hey. Yo, I love this show. Okay, uh-huh. Biden will be extending the student loan payment. The deadline was supposed to end on May 1st. That will be pushed back until the end of August. Mm-hmm. So again, that will be a pause on federal loan payments now. That does not mean you cannot make payments. You can make payments during this time. It will not have the interest attached to it since it is on quote unquote pause. Right. There are those who are pushing for him to just go ahead and do away with the loans. Okay. Do you think that he is doing this as a means to get people comfortable with the idea of not having student loans a part of the budgetary item and to see how our nation survives despite having the student loan debt? You can see them saying, oh, if we, the legislature forgive all of this debt it will put us in a hole well he's showing over this time that that's really not going to happen so is he prepping for the next president to put pressure on them to say well look for four years these people didn't pay it and it was okay why can't you just erase it yeah. i think he's passing the buck i don't even think he's setting up for the next president throughout this they've been piece by piece doing student loan forgiveness right some of the stories were covered some of them weren't where if you qualify if you're this and that you get student loan forgiveness if you're this and that you get student loan forgiveness and it's been in the billions of dollars mm-hmm. I, I think he's maybe not even setting up for the next president mm-hmm. he, he might be setting it up for himself of some way he's going to do it to get that taste in their mouth right look it's not that bad one thing about policies and politics is that once it goes into effect and happens it's harder to change it Mm -hmm. and especially if it's been good to their constituents Mm -hmm. normally they tend not to in in normal times that's why i say normally Mm -hmm. they would kind of go along with it if you look at the and i know we're going to talk about it a little later but when you look at the history of the affordable care act and how much they've tried to repeal it part of the problem that they run into is that one they didn't have anything to repeal it with and two they were popular parts of the plan it was will hurd who was a former congressional texas republican congress member one of the things he talked about in his book how president trump was belittling him and yelling at him 
because he couldn't go along with the GOP's plan to replace, repeal Obamacare because it didn't have the pre-existing condition stuff in there in the whole night. Mm-hmm. One, I think once you get that taste of it, and it's that part is popular. People like that part. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even in Tennessee, they changed the name of it from Obamacare to something else, and people liked it. So when you say repeal Obamacare, and they well, you know this is this. No, I used to Tennessee, da-da-da-da. They like it once the Obamacare name was off it. I think he's setting that kind of thing up of where people are liking it, they're getting the taste for it. It will become harder to not do it. Right. Uh, and, and I think he's it, it's a way to kind of put pressure on people who may not be liking the idea, agreeing to the idea. Even people's constituents want them to do it. Mansion in West Virginia, his I think it's like 74% of the people in the state wants this to happen and it's something he won't go along with. So Right. There also has been question of where his executive reaches as far as President Biden mm-hmm. being able to stroke a pen to be able to cancel all the debt. So I think this is a way to not only assess and see where that power lies, but also to push the buck down as he discovers ways to go ahead and achieve that goal of canceling some of those debt. Yeah, like you said, there's been a legal debate, legal scholars debate on both sides saying, yes, he can, and no, he can't. Does that mean if he did, it ends up in the Supreme Court? Right. Probably. How is that going to go then? You know what? I don't even know. Right. I think that you're right, that Biden is really trying to get a taste of it so that once it happens, it'll be hard to repeal it back. Like Obamacare, former president, Obama did come to the White House to celebrate with President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. This marks the 12th anniversary of their signature, their being President Obama and now President Biden's signature health care bill and kind of give a boost to Joe Biden's efforts to expand the Affordable Care Act. It has survived numerous appeal attempts by Republicans. One thing that we used to call President Obama in law school was that he is a con law god. He knew how to really look into the Constitution and figure out ways to achieve what he was trying to do. I mean, come on, before he became president and did all this, remember he was a con law professor. Right. But, yeah, congratulations to them. Yeah, it's the first time in five years that former President Obama was back in the White House. Of course, that broke with tradition. Right. Previous administrations would at least visit the White House or come back while the new president is in office, no matter which party it was, right? Oh, he wasn't invited? Obama, he wasn't invited to the White House? If I remember right, I believe he said even if he was invited, he wasn't going. So, oh, okay. Yeah, it was probably a mutual thing. Right. Because as we know, President Trump did everything to try to erase his legacy. Mm-hmm. Anything about Obama, he wanted gone because of he knew how he would be compared. And history will do that and it will show the truth. But I think it was kind of refreshing to see those two back together again. Yeah. And that jovial banter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's kind of unfortunate he, he being President Biden hasn't built that relationship with Vice President Harris yet. Yeah, she did look like the third wheel. I'm right. sorry to say it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. she did. And, and granted, when President Obama and Vice President Biden, of course, at the time, when they started off, they weren't the best of friends. They weren't chummy like that. Right. It developed. And so we'll see what happens with that. But they had their jokes back and forth about this was a big bleeping deal. The hot mic gas that Joe had. and. Mm-hmm. President Obama called him Vice President Biden. Mm -hmm. They had their little jokes back and forth and fun. So it was like old times. You hope that maybe him and Vice President Harris can form not necessarily that similar relationship, but something. 
so when you see them together, you see it a little bit more friendly, jovial, right? cordial. I don't know the word I want to use. It was good to see them back celebrating, of course, their accomplishment. And yeah, like they said, it's something people like parts of. And I think they've even admitted it's not perfect and they want to see some tweaks and changes to it mm -hmm. because they had to make certain compromises to get to pass. Right. So they want to see some changes to it. Right, right. I do hope that Vice President Harris and President Biden, at some point on their journey here at the White House or beyond, that we see that relationship between the two of them. I think it's been a lot that's happened. Mm -hmm. they, t they did take on a lot. I mean, think about it from them even coming in. We've had January 6th yep. prior to them their arrival. We've had, you COVID. know, dealing with the pandemic. Yep. So it's been a lot. I can only imagine what all that they've been going through. Yeah. But in good news going on out there on the Hill, Judge Kentonji Brown Jackson is almost confirmed. And what I mean by almost, there hasn't been an official vote. There's just been talk that's going around the Senate right now. Two Republican senators announced on Monday that they will confirm Judge Jackson's historic elevation to the U.S. Supreme Court, which will make her the first black female justice. These are two senators from Alaska and Utah, mm -hmm. and they will be joining Susan Collins of Maine, who announced last week that she would also back her because she has stellar qualifications as a federal judge. Who's the senator from Utah? Mitt Romney. What I did find interesting is that Senate Judiciary <laughs> Committee, they had this chart of the yays and nays and who did and didn't vote from both the Democratic side and the Republican side. And two notable people that were on the list that voted for her in 2021 mm -hmm. that are not voting for her in 2022 mm -hmm. is John Cornyn of Texas right. and Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Specifically, they voted for her to become an appellate judge at the U.S. Court of Appeals. However, they are voting no for her to be a judge at the Supreme Court. One has cited that her lackadaisical approach to sentencing, especially in some of these child pornography cases and other situations before her. And I don't remember what Lindsey Graham said. He said a lot. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, he's always. He, he's always. I, I was to say, I'm not even going to try to sum him up. I'm just going to say he has his reasons. Yeah, I, I think you look at and you listen to some of the Supreme Court scholars and the Senate Judiciary scholars, and they talk about even it's crazy because Lindsey Graham is talking about. So this is what y'all want to do. You want to just sit, you have your net, you have the majority, and you just vote people out. Mm -hmm. This is the, the, the direction you want to go. This is the direction it went the past three Supreme Court justices. Right. When they was in charge, it was whoever they wanted. You had the majority support, and there were some like legit concerns on not just some of the Supreme Court justices, but also some of the district courts that they right. judges that they appointed. Yes. Where, where the bar even came out and said, this guy is no, no, this guy right. should not be a judge. And they, nonpartisan, impartial, they ignored them, right? Right. And so it's already heading that way. And so it, it just seems like, you know, it, emotions. And I think Cory Booker, Senator Booker even hinted on that of, of the emotions of some folks is clouding their judgment and what they should be doing. Yeah, it was a split vote. They had to take it to the whole Senate floor for a vote to get her out of committee, which they did. And then that's when they found found out there was three Republicans that would that voted for that. They came out and said, yeah, we're going to vote for her. So I'm sure Vice President Harris will be in the building. It doesn't look like she'll be needed, but I'm sure she'll be close by, if not in the building, just in case. Weirder things have happened. Confirmation 
more than likely it'll be Friday, I think, because there's going to be some filibustering being done, right. which is part of the game. And so that will happen. We'll have our joy of, of seeing this happen. It is definitely history in the making. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to be proud of. Folks have come out, organizations have come out and defended her sentencing policies. Mm-hmm. And truthfully, at the end of the day, the fault lays at the feet of Congress. Yep. They've been inactive and they're blaming other folks about it. And we'll see how concerned they are about that issue after this with any kind of legislation they file. But, mm-hmm. you know, moving forward, she'll take her seat in the fall and the court comes back. So pre-congrats to her. And it's going to be must-see TV watching I know. the confirmation hearing or the final vote, I should say. Even the ceremony and her swearing-in ceremony and all that stuff, that's going to be must-see TV and yeah. everything as well. I think this does raise also the concern that people have that the Supreme Court is becoming so politicized. And having these votes along party lines and having such a split vote for Supreme Court justices wasn't the norm. Right. And now that it's becoming the norm, it's questioning of, are we really looking for what's best for country or what's best for party? And I think that's what a lot of people are concerned about because mm-hmm. you want to have somebody that embodies their party views, but some of them are so extreme that it's scary to think of someone that extreme making the decisions for our country and our lives. Yeah. I just think that's just something that legislatures need to really consider as we continue to move forward in this process mm-hmm. of how can they help protect the integrity of the court and the public opinion of that integrity as well. Yeah. That's all. (laughs) Kumbaya moment, though. (laughs) Good time. Right. It's time for my legal minute. You ready? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, so you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Pusha T and McDonald's and Arby's and all that stuff going on. They had beef. Right. All right, so now... But don't think, yes. (laughs) Now the beef is with Burger King. Recently, a class action lawsuit has been filed against them for false advertisement. The plaintiff that's bringing this claim is Walter Coleman of... Florida, Marco DeLeonardo, Matthew Fox, and Madeline Salzman of New York. What they're claiming is that the menu items are being overstated in 2017 advertisements in saying that the breakfast croissant, which the double sausage sandwich and other burger options that included bacon and cheese that they were basically overstated and they were exaggerated in their advertisements. Based on their complaint, they're saying that people are coming to Burger King in order to buy what is being advertised in these ads. And they're 35, on average, what they're saying, 35% larger in these ads. And they're the place that's saying that they have more beef, they have more food for the price of whatever is being advertised. I don't know the price of the Whopper, whatever it is. In the ad, that it is unfair and deceptive because when they get there, it's not that big. Oh, you remember that movie? I'm sorry, side note. You remember that movie, Trading Places? There you go. Uh-huh. And he, like, gets mad because it Define doesn't look he. like that. Huh? Who is he? I don't remember the name of the guy. What was the guy? Is this um, Eddie Murphy's character or somebody else? I thought it was someone else. They were mad that it didn't look like, the burger didn't look like that 
in the movie. I, I mean, in the advertisement. Right. And he was mad that the burger didn't look like it. Okay, this is what I feel like is happening in real, like art is imitating life. Like this is what this whole lawsuit is about. That basically their food didn't look like the ad. Do you expect it to look like the ad when Every, you get it? Just out of curiosity, maybe. Everybody expected to look like the ad when they get it. And how many times have people said, this burger doesn't look nothing like this picture I got over here. Okay. I mean, they have, there's a profession called food artists. Do you, food, yeah, yes, food artists. Yes, yes. Where they actually paint the burgers or whatever mm-hmm. to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. I, I guess their beef is that, <laughs> yeah, their beef is that it's the size, the weight is smaller. But yeah, I've given up on expecting it to look like the picture in the magazine or on TV where it's just glistening just right because it's juicy or whatever. Now, at this point in life, mm-hmm. fool me <laughs> once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Okay. I will say that they are trying to rally people. So if you feel like you have purchased a menu item based on false advertisements or <laughs> concerning the size of the menu items, they are asking people to join their class action lawsuit. Uh, they all get like 50 cents but if they win by the time this thing is over. Right. Anybody can... I felt that way. Right. I felt that way. Yeah. Okay. Here's a pity. Go okay. Right. Well, speaking of here's a penny. Here's Apple that they have to... <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, um, I'm gonna let you have it, but okay, whatever. Okay, I'm sorry, but speaking of paying out, we have Apple, who is set to pay nearly $15 million to a number of customers to settle their class action lawsuit. They were accused of storing iCloud data on actual third-party servers instead of their own. This was a breach of their own terms and conditions that the Apple users agreed to. And they are paying for iCloud storage from September 2015 to January 2016. Don't be surprised if you have a couple of extra dollars and cents in your account or credited to your Apple account. So are they yeah. going to do that or are they expecting you to do what you need to do to get the funds, whatever process it is? Are they just going to be like, here you go? Or they're going to be like, yeah, well, we got it. Uh, right. You better do some work. The respectable thing, the honorable thing would to be like, okay, cool. We'll just, we know who did pay for it, blah, blah, blah. We'll give it to you. However, them being big business, I expect them to be like, well, if you want it, you got some forms to fill out or requests to put in. Okay, so how the funds will be distributed if you are a subscriber to any kind of monthly paid iCloud plan and you have a U.S. mailing address associated with your plan, you will automatically receive the class payment to the Apple account that pays for your current monthly iCloud subscription. If, at the time of the distribution, you are no longer an Apple subscriber to any kind of monthly plan um, for iCloud and or you do not have a U.S. mailing address associated with your plan, you will receive a check in the mail associated with your account. So you don't need to take any action at this stage. All Those right. eligible for a payout will receive an email with details. Well, congrats to Apple for that. See? Don't always talk bad. You ready to talk bad about it. You sure am. I know. You know, hey, look, the attitude of big business, right? That's why y'all texts are green. And that settles that. We ain't okay. got no class action lawsuits, though. Go ahead. Y'all still, uh, have y'all paid us off yet? Okay. Have y'all stopped copying stuff Android still? Go Actually, ahead. y'all copied us. That's why y'all have patent infringement, which is why that happened. 
So that is copy oh, so We got new so stuff coming out that you. Android's been doing 10 years ago. Here, this is a new feature for iPhones. That's hell out. That's all. Okay, yeah. anyway. That's what y'all do. I'm in my legal minute. You, you, you trying to hijack my minute. You started it. Whatever. <laughs> so, on Tuesday, Tory Lanez was handcuffed and taken into custody in the Los Angeles courtroom after a judge found that he violated his protective order in his felony assault case involving allegations he shot Megan the Stallion in her foot nearly two years ago. Judge David Hereford revoked Lane's prior bail of $250,000 and raised it to $350,000 after hearing nearly an hour of arguments and finding that Lane violated the order that prohibited him from contacting or harassing Megan or discussing any discovery in the case with outside parties. As we've all seen online, there has been some back and forth between him and Megan, especially their versions of the story, which of course was probably used as evidence in violation of this order. Just as a reminder, Lanes has pleaded not guilty in the case back in July 2020. His lawyer argued that Tory Lanes did not provide a third-party Twitter user, many of you know him as DJ Academics, with any discovery of the case before Academics. He tweeted out on February 23rd that Tory Lane's DNA was not found on the weapon. So, being that DJ Academics even doubled down and saying that he saw the document himself and it says it was inconclusive in finding Tory's DNA on the gun and magazine, they believe that his access to it probably came from Tory. I believe there's still, I think that was just a preliminary hearing. The next court date is set for June 9th. They didn't get down into the nitty gritty as far as I think what everybody's waiting for, did he shoot her or not? These type of matters such as protective orders and things of that nature, those require immediate attention from the judge. So that's probably why they heard the hearing in advance from hearing all the substantive evidence. Hmm. <laughs> this is, okay, all I have to say about this whole case is this can go really bad for one side. And just being the fact that one, Megan has gone as far as saying that he shot her. She had to have some medical surgical procedure in order to get these, I don't know, whether it was a bullet or shrapnel, whatever it was, out of her foot. She lost a friend, her best friend, over this. This guy has come out and has said that he didn't do anything and he is not guilty and she's lying. Clarify that real quick because he said this guy has come out and said he is oh, I'm not, sorry. not guilty. So Tory Lanez has come out and Tory Lanez has come out and said that he hasn't done any of this stuff. Not only that, that he slept with her friend while they were dating. It's a back and forth battle, a social media battle between them. And everybody is playing a game of who done it with this whole thing. We know a gun was fired. I don't believe Megan shot herself. The question is, who had the gun? Who shot the gun? We don't know. There's blogs that have posted that celebrities, A-list celebrities such as Beyonce, Nicki Minaj, all these other celebrities have stopped following Megan. 
And I don't know whether it's to distance themselves from this situation or what the meaning behind it is. Because remember, she does have a couple of other court cases going on. Her former label with Carl Crawford that she has going on. She has, I think those are two cases that they have. They settled one and they still have one pending. There's still a lot of legal issues that Megan has going on beyond the scene, behind the scenes. But do I think necessarily that she's lying about anything? I don't know. I, I'm ready to hear the case and really th- th- see the presentation of fact. What is their evidence that they have? Everybody's kind of invested in this case because we've been watching them go back and forth of what really happened that night. And I don't think the friend has ever come out to even tell her version of things. Maybe she'll be a witness on her, on the stand and be able to testify to t- kind of tell her side. But it seems that from that situation, somehow she switched up on Megan. They're no longer friends, and for whatever reason, whether it's because of what he said about their triangle that was going on or entanglement, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I guess this makes for good court TV. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good for for court TV. It's good for the blogs since you talked about facts and putting the facts out there. I ain't paid attention to not a drop of this. Okay. To tell you the truth. Um, <laughs> I remember hearing about him. She got shot. Folks thought it was him. And I moved on. I, I, I think this makes people, I guess, it probably makes lawyers and defense counsels pying for the days of when there wasn't social media. Oh, yeah. So you didn't have to worry about your client saying something stupid. Oh, yeah. Or something they ain't supposed to be tweeting out. Oh, my God. I, 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 w- I would have loved to live in that era and have well, worked you, as an attorney oh, in that You era. did live in that era. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah, but I completely agree with you. I would give, and I'm not an attorney, but here's some unsolicited advice, whatever. If you get in trouble, don't tweet about it. Don't post about it. If somebody asks you about it, if you got a case pending, just say, I can't talk about it because I got a case pending and leave it there. Yep. Don't worry about, you're not going to win the court of public opinion trying to put your story out there. The court of public opinion is not going to have any stay on your record either. They're not. And, and that's why I'm like, you trying to prove your point is not really going to do anything because we know one thing with the public is basically once they pick their side, that right. Jesus would have to come down and tell them you're wrong. And then maybe some of them will switch sides and say, well, Jesus said it's wrong. It must be true. Others will just have their heels digged in, right? So stop tweeting about stuff if you're in trouble. That's like the kid in San Antonio who got arrested because he was Instagramming drugs and guns. Oh, and no. He was like 17 years old. One, you shouldn't be doing that stuff. Let me put that disclaimer out there, right? Don't be doing that stuff as far as having the drugs and guns when you know you're exposed to. Two, if you are, you probably shouldn't broadcast it to the world. Yeah. I guess the whole thing, everybody has been invested in this case because of the fact that Megan has had a definite meteoric rise mm-hmm. into stardom. We all had front row seats watching her grow. Right. And then to lose both of her parents mm-hmm. and then still go through graduating from college and the things that she's achieved on the way. Right. I think that we've had a personal investment on her journey. And to see that part of the journey where she was shot for whatever reason by right. whatever person, there was definitely a damper in that moment. Yeah. You know, to see somebody that you watched grow be in pain. 
Right. We'll just see how this plays out in June. Yeah. To me, it's just like how you have, and not just for celebrities, well, for celebrities and entertainers and athletes, whatever. It's like there's a blog or a person that's dedicated to watching who follows who on social media. Right. Who does that, though? I I don't know. I mean, even with athletes, like, oh, look, he's no longer following the Baltimore Ravens. Mm -hmm. Is there a tiff between this player and the Ravens? Right. So you're just scrolling through all the folks he's following to see when and if they stop following? I I don't know. And society puts so much value, I guess, in that, that, you know, but look, I know it's a way to get out there, get your name, get your brand, this, that, and the third, but... Like I told folks, social media has been a great thing and it's also been one of the downfalls of the, of society just because you have so much access to people and their information and folks don't know what to do with themselves. I guess my legal minute is over. But nonetheless, let's move into some sports. Because let me tell you, interesting things going on in that world. Yeah. Okay, so the NFL... You're going to have to break some things down, and then I'm going to let you know how I feel. All right. <laughs> Let's see. And this one, I think it's been controversial, this ruling, this decision that they made. I think a lot of people are mixed and split on it. And if you haven't been paying attention, we're not talking about the silly overtime rules that they made. The league and the owners came out and said that each team must hire a female or minority offensive coach. It's... A mandate. The new assistant must work closely with team's current head coaches. So this is happening this year. Okay. Uh, this was announced a couple weeks ago, uh, and they said they picked the offensive side because it, they believe owners and GMs have trended towards hiring new head coaches from offensive backgrounds as opposed to defensive ones. And you can see that trend. Mm-hmm. True. Mm-hmm. According to the league, their belief is that getting more minorities and women into significant positions on offensive staffs could lead to more minority and female coaching hires. Mm-hmm. Maybe, but there's, and the, the league will fund these new coaches' salaries. It'll be a league-wide fund. Okay, so let me, let's break this down. So you're saying that the teams, the owners, are now required to hire a minority or a female mm-hmm. Offensive line coach. Well, offensive coach. Not offensive offensive line. Co- okay, offensive coach. Right. Because of the opportunity that they see as the in- they being the NFL sees that they could potentially be hired as head coach. Right. Okay. What are the schools of thought on this one? Um, well, what are what are our two main sides? What well, do we got? so you have to thought of some people get why the league is doing this. Mm-hmm. And. Okay. When folks talk about minority hires in the NFL, for the most part, you're talking about black coaches, black folks, because black people make up so much of the players of the sport, right? Mm -hmm. Not taking away anything from any other minority, what have you, but for the most part, that's the conversation, which is, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. There are those who are saying, traditionally, when you looked at affirmative action practices, Mm -hmm. It's been white women who benefit the most from front of action practices, and that's just, like, the data. Okay. So there are those who are kind of concerned with that, where how this will go. Uh, You have those who feel like that this isn't necessary at all, where you are making the coaches hire or making the teams hire a minority or a a woman to be a part of the offensive staff. And So you have those three boxes. And the third one is... You have people who are applauding it, saying this is great and it will help move things forward. 
Okay, well, I feel like I have two of my schools of thought with this. I don't feel like the intentions of this are pure, okay? And what I mean by that is the NFL already has a lawsuit that they have pending that's been filed by Brian Flores. Thank you. Uh Brian Flores, thank you. Who has already put spotlight on the NFL league organization and the 32 ball clubs underneath. He's also spotlighted some of his specific ball clubs. I think, I, I don't remember exactly which ones they were, mm-hmm. but basically saying they have discriminatory practices. His request of the court, I don't think was monetary. I think it was more policy changes that he was seeking from the NFL and these ball clubs in order to get more minorities hired and to eliminate that discriminatory practice. With that being said, I believe this rule change is coming at a time that the NFL can wash their hands of any liability of discrimination because they can say, oh no, we have policies in place such as these that help not only minorities, but women as well. And so we don't have a bias. We are all, we're passing the buck over to the ball clubs and it's their responsibility to ensure that these opportunities are presented to minorities and women. So I think that there is a strategic rollout of this policy being that the Brian Flores thing happened. I also feel like there is an issue because remember just a couple of weeks ago or maybe a couple of months, I don't remember, so much has happened. (laughs) But a couple of weeks ago, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, when President Biden suggested that he was going to nominate Mm -hmm. a black woman, what was the complaint from the Republicans? It was discriminatory. Mm -hmm. I feel like this might be an opportunity to set up that argument to be able to go to court, to be able to question whether this rule right now is discriminatory and whether these positions could be occupied by a qualified white man, but is going to someone of another race or gender that is denying that opportunity to him. The same argument, of course, that they were making about Judge Jackson's nomination and the other candidates that were on the slate as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that there is not only a legal t- strategy to this, but there's a potential political strategy. Yeah, that argument is similar to one that was made against the top 10% plan here in Texas when it comes to college admissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least there is some precedent within that case of data being able to shoot that down somewhat as far as the position going to a, a white male lost out on this position because of that over somebody who wasn't qualified and, that, and that's going to be the sticker of who they're picking I, you know you can't be any bum off the street of course of course there's going to be a legal challenge this is the world we live in now where right. I haven't seen one announcement I'm sure it's, it's being worked on right, right. Uh, by those same groups and, and organizations who fund those so yeah I'm sure that that's coming. Mm-hmm. I just, like I said, the timing of this whole thing is very interesting. Oh, yeah. 
with so much discussion that's being had in both, like I said, the legal arena and the political arena, whether, I mean, we've been preaching for the past couple of weeks about diversity, equity, and inclusion. We've been talking about DEI over and over again and from the political position Mm -hmm. about whether qualification standards can be excluded to a particular race or to include only a particular gender. What does that look like? I think anybody's having a conversation in good faith, right, would not argue that this stemmed from the Brian Flores lawsuit. This would not happen if he didn't sue or as much attention got to it as it did. And there's two other plaintiffs who joined his lawsuit, I believe, last week, and I can't remember their names. But now, granted, if you're being sued, you probably would not admit to this. Mm-hmm. But if you're having an honest conversation, this isn't just something they did out the kindness of their heart that they just woke up and said, we should do this because we've been moving it at the pace we've been moving for a while. And now at these, I believe it was at these same meetings, uh, the coach for the Seattle Seahawks uh, apparently made some of the owners and others mad or feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. What, did, uh, what did Mr. Carroll do? It's being reported that he spoke, quote unquote, passionately mm-hmm. about the league's issues when it comes to hiring minorities coaches. What did he say? They didn't go into detail of what he said, but what they did comment was that uh, they were sufficiently strong to make people in the room uncomfortable to the point of angry. One source said that it wasn't sure the remarks actually did or should have angered those in the room, but apparently folks were squirming in their seats. I don't know if you've ever been to church and you get a little hot in the pew when the preacher's talking to you because it feels like he's talking to you or she's talking to you. Probably struck a chord with some of them because they fit the description. And part of the conversation that's been had about this whole process, not just this new hiring rule, but the hiring of minority coaches in general, black coaches in general in the NFL, is that they tend to pick folks they are around or folks they're comfortable with. People have highlighted the Houston Texans. I forget the boy's name now. How they were looking at for this year, they were in talks to hire the head coach for the team who he's only coached high school football for like a couple years, mm-hmm. bypassing so many other folks who've coached college level, NFL level, as a coordinator, yada, yada, whatever. And that fell through because folks made stink about that. Like, how are you going to think of the guy? Be sure he's a good guy. He's played in the league. Mm-hmm. Folks know him. He's a nice guy. However, I think even with that one, folks pointed out there were white coaches who should be mad about this, too, because, again, you have a guy who they like. Right. Who's all he's done is coach high school football for a year or two. Right. And you want him to now be the head coach of uh, NFL, the pinnacle of this sport, right? Is right. Not necessarily the Texans, but you're in the NFL. Right. I don't know what he said. I can see how easily it will make folks uncomfortable. Cause well, they, what? one person has come back and said that he was saying you can do anything, but until owners get to know these candidates before the actual interview and understand that they have to hire people who are different from them, it's not really going to change. Yeah, it's true. I, I think that's been the crux of what folks outside the room been saying, mm-hmm. whether it's been on social media, sports network, whatever. That's what people have been saying, but it wasn't necessarily to their face. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they heard it or may have read it. They may not have. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to ignore if it's not there in the room. Right. And so you had somebody, and, and Pete has his his hands isn't exactly clean either. And it's not as far as coaching, but I was going to ask you that. What there's does this players look like? like you know he had given Kaepernick a tryout a few years ago and didn't want to bring him on because he felt like he should be a starter somewhere. So he didn't want him to have him on the team because you know he should be a starter. We're not going to sign him as a backup. Mm. 
what? Like, but opportunity. That's opportunity that right? Have them there. You won't qualify backup who could start some games to help you win if your starter goes down. Right? You mm-hmm. typically don't ideally don't want to have a scrub. Mm-hmm. So he's not exactly squeaky clean, but he is a players' coach, and the players do love him. So mm-hmm. I could see him making this passionate argument. Yeah, he's in the position where he could hire some more folks as well to be on on his team. Of course, he couldn't fire the GM to hire a black GM. He doesn't have that authority, but. There's some things he can do as well, but he makes that point of until you're comfortable with the folks in the room, right? whether it's how they sound, how they talk, how they look, you're no. not going to give them that. Mike Thomason is the exception to the rule, if you will, the Rooney rule. He got his job as the Pittsburgh Steelers coach because of the Rooney rule. They did bring him in. They had a guy in mind that they wanted to hire. They brought him in as part of the rule, and he blew them away. And so Pittsburgh hired him, and the rest has been history with that. That doesn't happen too often. Right. Right? I don't think there's been another time where that has happened when it comes to this rule, where this it's just kind of been a check-the-boxes kind of deal. So, yeah, I, I mean, I know they're trying to fix it. They need to fix it. I don't know if I'm sold on this, though. I'm not sold on it at all. Like I said, I feel like there's an agenda behind it. Mm-hmm. I think that Pete Carroll, I agree with you. He's a player's coach. You can see his relationship with, for instance, Russell Wilson and um, the different players over the years. I do agree with you. I think what he's looking for is more support right. from the higher ups. And I think that maybe the timing of it all mm-hmm. was so much on the table, like we just were talking about earlier, they didn't need any additional bad publicity. Right. It should have been a behind closed doors statement versus I'm making a public appearance. This is part of my speech. Yeah. Once again, it's that court of public opinion, right? Right. I, right. We got to paint a picture. Right. Right. Transitioning from pro to collegiate sports, you did see the final four. Which one? Well, oh yeah. Well, we're going to talk about the other one in a little bit. But the men's final four. No, we ain't got to talk about that. We don't. You right. Yeah. Why we don't, we, we, I, I, I mean, I was sad. I was ready to book a flight to North Carolina to go in like party. Get some moonshine. Shout out to my cousins. Don't put your cousins look. I didn't say I didn't say which ones. Have them looking for your cousins. You don't even know which ones. I got a big family. That's you don't okay. know who You don't it want is. them tracking all your cousins. Like we gonna look. Good luck. Come on now. Good luck. Um, talk about posting things on social media. I, I, I didn't say which one. Nah. And hey, we all say everybody our cousin. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, shout out to Kansas. Congratulations. Uh-uh. It was I, a good game, though. I am not. It was a good game. Ain't no congratulations. Ain't no shout out. Dang. Yep. That's Dang. how we are. That's how we are. I wanted to go to UNC as a kid. See? And then my dad, he told me about out-of-state tuition, and then I didn't want to go. Mm, well, that, that does get expensive. Right, right. But I went to a very productive school at Prairie View. We'll talk about them too later. Oh, anyway, what's Every going on in college sports? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's been an interesting past few weeks, past few days when it comes to college sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the LSU basketball team. Mm-hmm. I guess they did, They got mad at the administration. The whole squad said... Wait, huh? <laughs> the whole squad said we out. So if they're not eligible to go to the draft or going to the draft, uh-huh. they have entered the transfer portal. They fired their current head coach. There had been some investigation, basically, I guess, about him helping recruits do basically what you can now with NIL. Okay, wait, Before huh? that was allowed. Before you can have your NIL agreements. Mm-hmm. He was helping some, allegedly, 
years ago, he was he mentioned a strong offer to recruit, which would have been permitted through the NIL rules now. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't it didn't take effect retroactively? Right. I think everybody knows or realizes that these things happen all the time in college sports. Before the NIL came on, at the big programs, I think nobody was foolish enough to think that, nah, boosters ain't sliding money under the table or coaches ain't helping folks get some money or whatever, whatever. Whether you prove it or not, that's eh, a whole other story. Mm-hmm. First of all, every time somebody says transfer portal, I think of it in my brain as like someone going into like a real portal, you know, in those sci-fi movies and stuff. But no, it's not. But no. <laughs> It's sad that a whole team has been dismantled on what is now legal. So I I really feel bad for these players as they try to find a new home, whether it is pro or whether it is collegiate, to figure out where that new home is going to be because you have to worry about what team you're going to be a part of, how many minutes you're going to be able to play on that team, what's your camaraderie going to be like with the new players on that team, and the list goes on. Mm -hmm. Best wishes to every last one of them as they move on to their new role. Are they looking? I mean, they have to be looking for a head coach now. Right. Um, and I guess the question of the day is, who will it be? And how, what will they do? Right. If you're a freshman, you're probably guaranteed to start. If you're on, on somebody else's team and you're looking to transfer for a yeah. chance to play, LSU might be the place for you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see how they recover from this. Yeah, and they weren't the only team losing players in college sports. Yep, and this is the transfer portal working in, in both directions. Okay. Where How you hear folks talk about the transfer portal is ruin, ruining college sports, and they don't like how athletes can just kind of move around. Mm-hmm. Well, after the volleyball season ended, the head coach for Grambling, mm-hmm. their volleyball, female volleyball team, cut them off. What? Said you ain't got to go home. Uh, and she's a first-year coach. Okay. And they said she did so to recruit players from Arkansas Pine Bluff. Wow. Cut the entire team. And she's a Grambling alum, by the way, The new co- the, their head coach. Okay. Her name is Chelsea Lucas. And said, yeah, y'all got to go. Of course Wait, so the volleyball coach uh-huh. cut the entire team to get another HBCU's entire, I mean, players. They work in the transfer portal. Wow. The players are hurt and shook up. Of course, because probably some of them might have been on scholarship, for instance. So what happens to that? Mm-hmm. Well, they're going to have to enter the transfer portal and see what happens. And most places just Where is the athletic director on this? I'm glad you asked. Okay. He supports the decision. The athletic director is Trayvon Scott. This is a statement provided to HBCU Sports. Uh, he says, just as transfer portal empowers student athletes, our coaches are also empowered to make the decisions they deem necessary to advance their programs. Ouch. What a slap in the face. Now, mind you, Lucas, as we talked about, she was a former Grambling volleyball player. Okay. They hired her in February. Where'd she come from? You want to take a guess? Pine Bluff. That's where she came from. Wow. Wow. Yep. Wow. What in the world? I have no words. So what happens to all of them? They don't get a chance to play. You could possibly lose on scholarship money. Mm -hmm. Where do I go from here? Seriously, if they were on scholarship, I'm trying to go find another school to pick me up so they can pay for my last year at least. Mm -hmm. If I remember right, when when it comes to scholarships, they are like a year-by-year basis. Mm -hmm. One of the students, her name is Destiny Johnson. She's a sophomore defensive specialist. Mm -hmm. She put on social media. Uh, 
she was sick to her stomach over the news. Mm -hmm. She said, all the time, energy, and dedication I put into the volleyball program here at Grambling State has now been thrown right back in my face. My entire team has been robbed of our last years to play the sport we love by a woman who has come in and disrespected and belittled us since day one. Wow. And they, of course, upset the AD didn't make any effort to look further into this. And then you've heard a statement from the AD. What's my word of the day? Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. I have got to follow this story. Mm-hmm. Because I really want to know what happens to these ladies. Yeah. One. And then two, would there be another rule or something put in place so that kids won't be in limbo like this? You know what I'm saying? Could you imagine you're going to a school and... Your coach, who's already biased to another school because she coached him, mm-hmm. comes on board and just cuts you and said, hey, y'all, come on over here. I got the door open for you. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's it's the give and take of that process, too, though, for the transfer portal, right? Because to play devil's advocate, it's the same thing when a new coach come in. You're the star player. They may be counting on you. Okay, cool. I got something to build from. Are you coming in? Yeah, coach, I'm, I'm gone. I'm but moving on. the entire on. team, Giannis. I understand. I, I don't. Right. I don't the think ent- you can you cut the entire team. And if you give in, give them in, the transfer portal, but I know. But you cut the entire team <laughs> to benefit your former squad, who you have a bias towards. That is an issue. But I feel like they're better players. That isn't. I don't care. Then you should have stayed at Pine Bluff. I feel like this is a, a no. opportunity at a bigger school, and I think I got some better players than the girls that I had here, or guys that I had here. I'll cut you. You don't even give them an opportunity they to mean. really learn. First of all, your program, because right. she's only been there a year. Not even. And then second of all, to really even prove themselves with the Pine Bluff players. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Like, I, I've just, my heart goes out to these it, girls. It sucks. I, I don't think there's a rule that they can put in to fix this problem. It's that, that double-edged sword with that portal and... I think this is the, the ugly side to it. I think we've celebrated and highlighted a lot of when folks are moving on and moving to better positions or these players now have control of their destiny. This is also what happens from that, unfortunately. And yeah, it's tragic for the girls. Truthfully, if I was them, I don't know if I would want an opportunity to play for that school play for her after this right so i'm you know well, duh, not after this but yeah. i'm just saying the fact that this is even at play yeah is concerning to me yeah, hopefully but, they, they'll be able to bounce back uh you know what in this last story in sports you can have it i am so fed up with this guy i'm sorry he gives me a headache even when his name comes on my screen because i know it's just a mess every single time it's a mess Oh, yeah. No, I'll gladly talk about it because, you know, it makes me laugh. Um, yeah, one of the arguably worst, if not the worst owner in sports. He's definitely up there. Daniel Snyder. The name sounds familiar to you. He is the owner of the Washington Commanders, formerly the Washington football team. Formerly? Yeah, we formerly the Washington <laughs> football team. We didn't even talk about their previous name, right? Okay. Just out of respect for yep. the Native Americans. If you've been paying attention, they've been having some issues past few years now. There was the issues with the cheerleaders and how they were being sexually harassed, assaulted. Some would even say pimped out to clients, if you will. Having new photos taken, what have you. So you had that. You had the investigation by the quote-unquote investigation by the NFL that nobody really saw. 
But NFL was like, eh, it's cool, we're good. And Again, these are all allegations. Right, they were allegations, but only people who saw the investigation report were like Snyder and, and um, the commissioner. Wait, wait, wait. What, what investigative report? Are you talking about with the cheerleaders? Right. No, there was no investigative report. It was an oral report, and uh, that's why right. they wanted the report to be provided to Congress right. in some capacity go. because there was never anything written down. They just came back, had a meeting, made an oral report about their findings, and that was it. Which, of course, is concerning because since nothing is on paper, how do you dispute anything, anything that words that were said? Mm-hmm. I don't even know if there was a recording of the meeting at all. I'm sure if you so, didn't do a p- written, we ain't recording this. Wow. You're not going to get this in discovery. What yeah. you mean? But go ahead. So you had that. You had the emails that came out with John Rudin. Right, because uh, remember they were sending nude photos of the other girls. Of the well. girls and, and some other unsensitive words and comments that were some racist, some sexist, some homophobic words that were said mm-hmm. back and forth between Gruden and the former general manager, I believe was his position, of the Washington football team. Mm-hmm. And now Congress had gotten involved because they're trying to see what's happening with, with this team, what's going on with this franchise. When it comes to these allegations of the sexual harassment and whatnot, let's House Committee on Oversight and Reform wanted to check some things out. Mm-hmm. So in the process of these committees being heard, and of course, part of this that plays that the commanders, they want a new stadium, as is the hot thing to have now, the, you know, pop a new stadium. And they want to move location from where they are. But, well, I mean, FedEx Field has some issues. <laughs> it was down the street from where I used to live, and... If y'all even seen the videos online, that place needs some rehab. I mean, you had poop water falling on fans. You had this. They said it wasn't poop. That's what they said. It was just some drainage. So some brown looking drainage. It's alleged that that it was it was sewage. But they said they, being FedEx Field and the Washington Commanders, have said that that was not toxic or any wastewater. At this point, I can't believe. Again, we can only say facts. Mm -hmm. This is what they say. I don't know. And then, of course, you had the stadium, the stands fall apart when the Eagles. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was their stadium. Right. Almost hit the quarterback for the Eagles. Oh, my God. Uh, And fans were a little hurt from that, too, as well. So you have that. And now, in the process of this oversight committee, it's come out. Somebody has, at least one person has informed the committee that the commanders did not provide the full 40% of ticket sales mm. that they were supposed to do. So NFL teams are required to send 40% of ticket sales from every home game to the league. The league then distributes the money to away teams. Okay. So they receive word that the commanders ain't sending the full amount of money. Mm. Now, these ticket sales not only impact other teams, but also the players, since ticket revenue is factored into overall league revenues that are used to come up with the salary cap, mm-hmm. where everybody's trying to figure out how much money they're going to get. The salary cap for 2022 is at $208.2 million, which is an increase from 2021. However, they did say it's unclear how long the commanders have allegedly withheld ticket revenue. This is something that the NFL and the team has just learned recently. Uh, and so, of course, they are denying. Of course. Uh, Would you admit that? Come on now. No, of course not. Mm. That investigation is going on. <sighs> I told you, he gave me a headache. Mm-hmm. Just a whole entire headache. Now, this goes along with the $10 million that Snyder had been, or the team had been uh, fined by the NFL after its own investigation and ordered Snyder to give up day-to-day operations, which rumor is he's now taking that back. 
even though he's not supposed to, he's now back in charge of day-to-day operations. He turned it over to his wife. Right. Rumor, rumor like they, but the, they don't talk about anything. Right. Like, here, you're, you're it by name, but here, this is what you're going to be doing. So, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of sports, have you seen the latest cooking video? I'm trying to tie in sports to the cooking video, but... Well, it was... Wait. It was Ashley Spencer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I didn't see hers, but yeah, I have seen the latest cooking video. Got you. Yeah. Ashley Spencer, she critiqued Paula Patton. So Paula Patton is cooking her mom's famous fried chicken, and she's explaining the instructions and steps to make her beloved chicken... During this video as well. Mm-hmm. Well, traditionally, most people, or some people, I guess, season the chicken before putting it into the batter and into the frying pan. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. However, she took a different approach. Mm-hmm. She seasoned the chicken while it was in the grease. <laughs> Why am I laughing? Because I've never heard of... Yeah. Go ahead. So, I don't know how seasoned grease was going to help her chicken recipe, but... <laughs> you you got to let the seasons get, get up in there, right? You can't just... She was trying so hard, and she was just... And I could just... Uh, bless her mama soul. Because I, I mean, mom, mom, why do I got to get into this? Like, <laughs> like, all you doing is seasoning the outside of it, right? There's nothing on it, especially how she seasons one side that's not <sighs> being cooked and then flips it over and seasons the cooked side, right? Right. So all you are just putting the seasoning on the outside of it. Once the skin is gone, what you get? Yo, I I have never seen anything like it. I, I I've, I've never seen anyone cook like that. Yeah. But the reason why Ashley Spencer, she did a video critiquing what she did. And she, she was talking about the dirty flour and unseasoned chicken. <laughs> talking about where's the seasoning. Yeah. And of course, she says, and she, of course, when she's seasoning the chicken while in the grease, Spencer says, like, in the grease? Your mama did this? You're seasoning grease. Hot oil? <laughs> right. I just don't understand. But I thought that was the funniest video because let me tell you, Paula Patton was committed mm-hmm. to making and, that chicken. And word got to her about folks because, you know, black Twitter does what black Twitter does. Right. Or even it was on Instagram. So TikTok and the whole nine, folks have been commenting on it. Mm-hmm. So word got back to her and she did comment on people comment. Mm-hmm. She says, I'm in Mexico with my son and woke up and people were like, did you see an Instagram or TikTok and Twitter talking about how you fried chicken? She says it's all good. She says some more things. It's her mother's recipe. Her mother taught her. But she Mm -hmm. says it's all good because everybody's got their own way of making things. She says, I'll take suggestions and I'll make a new kind of fried chicken. But I'm always going to make my mom's chicken the way that she did. Mm -hmm. She says, we put the seasoning in the oil and all that. It's just the way we do it. Mm, okay. So she's standing by her mama's chicken recipe. Okay. She said, and she going to stand beside it. Okay. Yeah. Well, more power to her and her chicken and her guests, whoever had to eat it. But I'm glad it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the best part of our show, we have Black Excellence. We want to definitely spotlight Miss Dawn Staley. You know her? I do know her. Okay, cool. So she is South Carolina Games Cox. Head coach their bas- for their women's basketball. <laughs> I don't know why you did a pause, but go ahead. Because I hate their name. Their, Game their mascot. Cox. I know, because it is so annoying. <laughs> and word. you know what? Okay, so we think about these things as cheerleaders, right? Uh-huh. As cheerleaders, we think about what team we're going to cheer for and what's going to be across. 
<laughs> what name is going to be across our chest. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at schools because I was cheerleading scholarships, okay. doing that thing and everything else. So I was looking at some of the different schools in South Carolina came up. And I looked at their things and I was like, I was no way I would walk across that field with Gamecock across my chest. Hey. I don't know. It's a chicken. It was, a, it was another school too. It was called Moorhead University. Oh yeah. No, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Hey. But nonetheless, okay. Popular so, school. This party ain't probably gonna be on the air. This party is probably gonna be on the podcast. But that is awesome. Shout out to Dawn Staley. She is South Carolina Gamecocks bas- uh, women's basketball head coach and now national champion for the second time. She is the first black male or female head coach of a basketball team to win two Division I NCAA titles. Mm-hmm. So congratulations to her and her team. Did you see the game? They beat UConn. I was so cheering for South Carolina. I was like, look, UConn got enough. I need my, I need somebody else to move in and handle this. <laughs> so I was really proud of them. I think they, it wasn't like the nail biter down to the last second, like the- We ain't gonna talk about that game. Uh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. So it wasn't like that, but <laughs> it was a good game, and it was good to see them prevail. Yeah, I'm happy for it. You know, the history being made. Right. I didn't get to watch the game. It was just slightly after Women's History Month, but it was good to see that history being made, and for her to be first male or or or, or, or uh, female to do it. Kudos to her. Of course, she's won championships as a player as well, so she mm-hmm. has a, a, a great resume, great back background she's been great for that university uh, and, and for that program so joe keep rocking also in black excellence we want to highlight houston tilston university who is hosting the first ever texas hbcu conference mm-hmm. the conference did happen last weekend and it brought together texas's nine historically black college and universities to meet about the future of those schools and secure more resources to support the students they serve who come from historically marginalized communities. Yeah, so it was seven of the nine showed up. And truthfully, there's one of them I hadn't even heard of. Uh, you ha- had Jarvis Christian College. Uh-huh. You had Prairie View. Whoop, whoop. You had St. Phillips College. Prairie uh, View was there. Uh, we, I went to them. Oh. I believe St. Phillips in San Antonio. Yep, sure is. Uh, isn't that a two-year school? Yes. Uh-huh. See? Mm-hmm. Familiar okay. with them. Uh, Southwestern Christian College is the one I had not heard of. Really? I was not familiar with it. Did no. you know what else? Prairie View was there. Yeah. Okay. And of course, you had Texas Southern who Prairie was there. was definitely there, though. And you had Wiley College. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you had Houston Tillotson University who put the event on. So. Ooh, ooh, and Prairie View was there. Yeah, you know, okay. they had a small role. No. Shout out to the schools that attended and, of course, that wanted to attend. This is definitely needed to make sure that the schools are all on one page as they pursue these resources for their students mm-hmm. and the funding that's needed because there's been a lot of discussion mm-hmm. about the need for funding for schools is not only at a state level but the federal level as well. Oh yeah. And I think that when we can all come together that voice will definitely be more powerful mm-hmm. so they can get the things that the, we, they need to serve the students and communities. Oh without a doubt I, I think part of what makes this complicated is there's a few things that make this complicated but one of the, the big hang ups is that you only have two public universities mm-hmm. um, Prairie View and Texas Southern. Hey. They get support from the state because they're public institutions. Mm. The rest of them 
being private institutions, mm -hmm. they're not allowed to get state help or mm -hmm. state funds. Now there's grants and things of that nature that they can get. The part of the conversation that came out from there is that this model as itself is, is, is broken. Mm -hmm. um, it talked about how Texas Southern and Prairie View, they received nearly 2,500 less in combined average state funding per student compared with the state's two flagship universities in 2019. Now, of course, your alma mater, PV, is uh -huh. supposed to be on the same level as A&M and UT when it comes to funding and recognition by the state, by the charter that it was founded on. Supposedly. Right. Not treated that way, of course. Uh -huh. uh, and, and if I remember right from talking to some people, even when Purdue gets money donated. The daddy of them all, AM, comes in and gets they cut too. I'm like, oh, cool, let me go ahead and take this and mm -hmm. a little bit of this. And yeah, yeah I don't like these small bills. Y'all can have that. Mm -hmm. The schools, the HBCUs, they have definitely been underfunded across the state, across the country. It's great to see them. This is the first time the schools have gotten together and worked together like this. Dr. Colette Pierce Burnett, who is the president of Houston Tillerson, she's the one that said the business model is broken and it's an uphill battle to get funding for HBCUs. She says she has to balance the cost of school with serving Pell Grant eligible students, which means seeking out alternative sources of revenue to try to keep tuition costs low. She says our schools are often called resilient, but at some point, resilience becomes abusive. Oh. Uh, we should not have to be resilient to move from surviving to thriving. Right. She says, I do see light. Our institution has come a very long way, but we need investments in us in order for us to be able to increase the number of textbooks that we can use to educate. And I know former state rep Donna Dukes, who you met her at the NAA uh -huh. banquet. She used to actually hold a festival when she was the state rep every year on A&M campus. Uh -huh. And the money raised there went to HT because, of course, she realized that they can't get state money. Right. And so it was her way of trying to help the university. And Dr. Pierce Burnett, she's definitely done a lot to transform that university and has made it more inclusive with the community. And of course, legislators was there as well to participate in this summit, which mm -hmm. at the end of the day, they are needed. Mm -hmm. Like There's only so much they can do for the private schools, but their advice and their thoughts is definitely needed. And we'll see. Right. Speaking of, we'll see. We'll see President Ruth Simmons, who is the president at Prairie View A&M University, will continue to see her on campus. We reported a couple of weeks ago that she is stepping down and will be ending her term as president. However, she will be staying at the university as a professor, so she will still continue to perform her duties as needed on behalf of the new president, assisting in raising funds and expanding the number of important partnerships that, the, that Prairie View has created over her tenure, but she will also launch a leadership program for those seeking to advance in higher education leadership. So that's going to be her role as a professor. She'll be doing her part to increase the diversity of senior leadership in colleges and universities. We're sad to hear the news that she's leaving, but we're glad that she we get to see her smiling face still glowing on campus. <laughs> Last but not least, can we shout out the city of San Antonio? We can't. He's such a hater. Anyway, right now is Fiesta in San Antonio. If you're not familiar with Fiesta, it is a week-long events that are all around the city, from parades to festivals, is all celebrating the Mexican Latin culture in the city. Last weekend was the Taste of New Orleans and also the Oyster Bay. That they have out there as well and the taste of new orleans is held at sunken garden and it's 
very much, I would call, a black event. They said that two two times people come out in San Antonio a year is doing the MLK March and the um, Taste of New Orleans. But it's an opportunity to get some good New Orleans-style cuisine to see some of the people around the city. It's always packed. But this weekend, it was exceptionally hot because it was about 90 degrees outside. If your food wasn't hot, I know that they were. Mm-hmm. But it's just something beautiful that to see in the city and that they've continued to grow and excel over the years. Because I remember going there as a kid. And to see the Taste New Orleans, this event still going on and mm-hmm. still going strong, kudos. And shout out to the Coleman family as well. All right. Yes. I think that concludes our show today. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Y'all only knew. Uh, check out the, our full podcast. If you don't have the TuneIn app, you can check us out on Podbean, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, FM Player, Pandora, and Listen Notes. Our website, hopefully, is coming soon. Engage with us on social media. That's yes. The Grapevine Talk on Instagram and Facebook. Right. And the Grapevine ATX on Twitter. Yep. All right. This is your girl, Nikki Wooding, and my man, Giannis Banks. Mm-hmm. And we are going to sign out. Y'all have a wonderful day. And guess what? Next Thursday, we'll be right back. So, chat with you later. Summer is coming. Yay. <laughs>